Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Brudeman. On today's show, I'm speaking with Cy Wakeman. She's an international keynote speaker, business consultant, New York Times bestselling author, and psychologist who helps organizations and individuals all over the world learn to ditch the drama and turn excuses into results. That's a lot, but I met Sai on the speaking circuit, and I like the way she holds people and companies accountable for performance. We have a fun discussion about the future of work, how to get the best out of people, and whether or not you really need leaders. I'm excited to share this discussion with you. It was a lot of fun. I love Sai Wakeman, so sit tight. We'll be right back with more Let's Fix Work and Sai Wakeman. Work is broken. So is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is breaking things down so you can put them back together and make work something you can enjoy. Let's fix work together. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, everybody, it's Lori Rudiman here, and I am so excited to introduce you to just an amazing guest. Oh, I'm so pleased to have her. My guest this week is Cy Wakeman. Cy, how you doing? I am great. So glad to be your guest this week. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm a bit of a fangirl, as are many of my friends and colleagues in the world of human resources. And you and I have crossed paths over the years, but we've never officially met. You spoke at Work Human. You've been at SHRM. You're just on the circuit. And so before we get started talking about whether or not work is broken, why don't you give us like an elevator pitch as to who you are and what you do? Well, I'm a drama researcher, so I actually study how much time people spend in drama, in emotional waste at work, and provide strategies on what they could do with all that energy instead. So who buys your services? Is it individuals or is it leaders? All of the above. So I work with a lot of human resources and learning and development folks who realize that what they're teaching Um, the traditional leadership methods aren't working. Um, And individuals, we actually have a whole strategy to give everything we do away for free to the individual on YouTube, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, um, so that individuals can consume us for free. And then usually they love our stuff and it works. So they bug their leaders to bring us in to the organization. We think that's great marketing when your employees want us in because it works for them. So we don't have to wait for the top to adopt this. We just make it happen. That's amazing. Well, you know, what workplace doesn't have drama, which is why you're on the show today, because I have a core philosophy that work is broken and it needs to be fixed. And I wonder if you agree or you disagree or if you see it as a nuanced state of being. What do you think? You know, I don't disagree with the facts that on the macro work seems broken. I think when we look towards the solutions, we need to realize that work is just work. Work is our reality, and reality is never the reasons we can't succeed. Um, It's just the reality in which we must succeed. So I would say that work um, just as work. It's not necessarily broken, but our um, leadership philosophies, our HR approaches, our, um, our current thinking about work is definitely broken. Well, it's funny you mention leaders because leadership books and leadership training and leadership speakers are ubiquitous. They're all over, right? Everybody's got a book. Everybody's doing a speaking uh, circuit right now. So there are so many people who dole out leadership advice. And I wonder what makes this kind of information much more natural to give than to receive? Well, um, 
for me, I don't know if it's always, it is natural to receive because um, being a researcher and coming from a science evidence-based background um, as a social worker and as a therapist, for me, much of what's given from the platform is not evidence-based. And so it's actually almost, um, it's difficult for me to sit in the audience where there's a lot of kind of feel-good psychology, pop psychology, not positive because that's good stuff, but pop psychology being given as advice from people who have not done the work, right? Um, which you know we have, and um, from people that um, aren't looking to the evidence or to the research. And so what they're providing is antidote, judgment, and many ego-filtered looks. And, and the reason it's easy to give is most leadership advice is about um, colluding with you and judging those people who are bad at leadership. And we just, we don't, we don't do that. We all have a human condition. Um, It's all about um, evolving beyond your human condition and managing that human condition of ego. And it's not just leaders, it's everybody. And, um, you know, there's so much out there right now that's just plain, um, it's dangerous. I heard the other day, someone give a whole keynote on bring your whole self to work. Bring, you know, if you're having a grumpy day, then we all love you. And, and we need to understand, you know, that you have feelings. And I am completely um, on the other side of that. I Wait, tell my- you're, I'm with you. And I want to stop you on that because we at Let's Fix Work talk about this all the time, that if you bring your whole self to work, you may be a jerk or a moron or insensitive to other people and step on other people's lives. So does this tie into some of your messaging around drama and leadership? Because I would imagine if you bring your whole self to work, you're bringing all your drama and all your bad stuff to the office as well. Exactly. And and I'm glad that you jumped on that. I say do not bring your whole self to work. Bring your most evolved self to work. And by the way, don't bring your whole self home. Don't bring it to the <laughs> Don't bring it anywhere because when people want to bring their whole selves to work, they're using it as just this justification for how I can bring my low self to work and you must accept it if you accept me. And I'm all about calling people to greatness. And you have a responsibility not to bring your whole self to work, to bring your most of all self to work. And most of what people are upset about or venting about is the ego's version of the world, which isn't accurate anyway. So most of what they're upset about didn't even happen. And so we, we just, we need them to do a better job of, um, relating to reality and filtering their own view of reality, a much cleaner version, process their own work, process their own stuff, and then come to work fit for duty, mentally fit for duty. A lot of people only think fit for duty means to have my safety shoes on, my safety glasses, and can I lift 50 pounds? I'm talking fit for duty that you've done your work. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because leadership today seems so much about um, being a therapist, right? It's about motivating people to bring their healthy adult to work, right? That's what leadership is all about. But if you ask someone what my, someone like my dad, what leadership was all about, it was like, meet the numbers, uh, get your work done and you get a paycheck. So shut up about it. And I just wonder, you know, leadership has been evolving over the past 50 years, but leadership today in 2018 is different than it was. And even in 2008, when I left corporate America. So I wonder how you see leadership evolving throughout the years and is it evolving for the better? 
Um, we know that some leadership is evolving for the better because we our business has grown astronomically and we have a lot of people that now get reality-based leadership and no ego and they're changing their systems. But leadership in general has not evolved for the better. We have over-rotated to engagement in these 10 years. So in the vendor halls, everything is engagement and people don't understand engagement. They think engagement is me orchestrating your happiness, is me as an organization creating an environment where you with little effort just can plug and play. And we know from our research that engagement without accountability creates entitlement. And so Right now, most of the companies that I'm um, hearing from are really struggling with this entitlement that they've created, but they've over-rotated on engagement. And engagement, I can't manufacture for you. Engagement's a choice. In fact, the first time I became a leader, and they said, you're responsible for the engagement of others. I just, um, I still was practicing as a therapist. And I said, you mean like workplace happiness? Plus like their discretionary effort and intent to say like, I'm responsible for that? How, why isn't that their responsibility? And I said, you know, as a therapist, we know that you can't make another person happy. I've spent nine years teaching people that you're not responsible for somebody else's happiness. And we have a word for it. We have a diagnosis. It's called codependency. <laughs> and, right. and, and so, so many leadership practices are really based on enabling others and bending reality, corrupting people's data. You know, people need a clear view of the world and they get their data corrupted with their own thinking, their ego filter, and then all of you enabling and keeping them from really just understanding natural consequences. Um, I don't want to go back to your dad's time where it was just like suck it up buttercup but if I had my choice between entitlement and then I would pick then and here's why because the right people got so mad they quit the right the same behavior can't please a high accountable and a low accountable and there are some days where it simply is because we promised the client suck it up make it happen now high accountables will get that low accountables will be angered by that in engagement, we're working so hard to make the low accountables not quit that the high accountables are at an all-time, um, you know, past, um, they're at all-time high for creating their own businesses. So we're losing the people most capable of hustle, like you and me, left. Totally. Because yeah. everybody is so focused on how can we please the low accountables, and they don't realize the truth, which is, the same behavior will not please a high accountable and a low accountable at the same time. You'll always have somebody mad, make the right people mad. So is it all right to stop measuring employee engagement? Is that a stupid number to measure? Um, I believe if you're going to do it the way you're doing it now, um, your dad is so corrupt, just stop measuring it. Yeah. Now, what I like to do is I do like to measure engagement, more pulse survey, and even better, just conversation with my high accountables. The only people I care about their engagement is the high accountables. So we actually have an engagement survey where we ask typical engagement questions, and then we ask accountability questions, things we know measure a person's accountability. And then we filter the data on engagement through the accountability questions so that you can turn down the volume on your low accountables and turn up the volume on your high accountables and fix the corruption in your data because everybody's vote shouldn't count the same. Yeah, so for instance, if a low accountable says, I don't trust senior leaders, do we care? If a high accountable says, I don't trust senior leaders, I care. 
And, and, and the, the reason for this is there's two sorting processes. If a low accountable, first of all, if a high accountable hurts in any way, they self-reflect, they see what their part in it is, they adjust, they look to learn, they look to grow, and what's left, they then go to the organization and say, hey, here's a piece, I've sorted my stuff out of it, here's a piece that's pretty pure, if you would get us a printer on 6 Southwest, we could have better productivity. The low accountable hurts and hands everything to the organization and says, I hurt, what do you got for this? They, their sorting mechanism is broken because they believe everything from a victim mindset, everything's the responsibility of the organization. And so engagement, if you're going to just measure and you're going to have every vote counts the same, then yeah, quit measuring it. Your data is absolutely corrupt and you'll spend a ton of money fixing the wrong stuff. But we fix the measurement and then the best way to solve this is only have high accountables in your organization so that everybody's opinion should count again. Well, you know, that's that's great, right, to have only high accountables in your organization. But unfortunately, we live in a world where people need to work. And so I wonder, is there any way to rescue people or to educate people or to pull them from being low accountable and victims to being highly accountable and owning their own employee experience? Is that possible? You know, I worked as a therapist. I've seen a lot of spiritual <laughs> awakenings. I believe it's totally possible. People have gone through alcohol treatment. They've gone through. You can take a mid-accountable with great leadership and move them up. But here's what I would tell you is I don't have to solve the whole problem of people working in this world. I just have to solve the problem of being the best place for high accountables to work. And so a lot of people are like, well, we have the shortage on talent. And I'm like, no, we have a shortage for great places for high accountables to work. If you and I are being chased by a tiger, I don't have to beat the tiger. I just have to beat you. And what happens, though, is that as you create places where high accountables can come amplify high accountables without the um, drag of people that are low in accountability is you break the curve and you show people what's possible. Um, and, and I work with a lot of folks that it's not about what they come in with because a lot of people need to work. It's about willingness. So you can come in under skilled that doesn't mean that you're low in accountability. Yeah, of course. It doesn't mean right. you're low in willingness. And so um, I believe in giving as many opportunities to as many people as I can. We do tons of internships. We, um, you know, I, I do a lot of micro lending. But, for but I hear you. You can't save everybody. I hear it's you. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, well, you can't save those who don't want to be saved. And you go first. Buy-in is a verb. I can't buy you in. Yeah. And I also think there are people out there who are allergic to what's happening in low, um, like really cruddy, low value jobs out there. And they would rather not work at all or rather take a job and just take the paycheck than buy in and really try anymore. I see a lot of learned helplessness and I think learned helplessness goes both ways. Workers are burnt out on some of the garbage that's been happening in the workforce. There's been uh, a dampening of wages. There is uh, tons of harassment still happening within corporate America. People are disengaged because they've been told your voice doesn't matter whether you're a high performer or a low performer. So I see individuals who are like, you know what, I'm just going to show up at work because why even try if all I'm going to do is fail? They look to the past to predict the future. And in some ways, I think, all right, you can't fix those individuals, but I would love to give them an employee experience that blows their mind. 
and yeah. gives them a chance to try. And I think those employee experiences are few and far between in our economy. I think so. And a couple of comments on that. The person who shows up and decides why even try um, needs to understand why even try for their own happiness because they've got their motive to do, I'll do this as long as the organization does something for me. But there's a bigger evolution there that, um, you know, the Buddhists talk about if you're washing dishes, then wash dishes happily and wholeheartedly because it's not about the dishes it's about your evolution so if people are you know Gallup says that people quit their jobs because of their bosses I'm like people quit their jobs and blame their bosses (laughs) right I walked beans I've castrated hogs I've done a lot of crappy jobs where nobody cared crap about me and I made up my mind to be happy anyway and use that money to to better myself. I do think we employers have a responsibility to those of us that believe this stuff to quit messing around, employ high accountables, reward high accountables, be socially um, good citizens, protect our planet, um, you know, build in the cost of our carbon footprint, make sure that we have workplaces where, you know, it's very clear that people are respected and throw some tremendous profits so we can debunk this baloney of all the excuses people make that I've got to harm the environment and harm people to make a profit. That's not a profit. That profit is supported um, and subsidized. And so we need to show people what pure profit looks like. And pure profit is what you're left over after you have paid all the costs of doing business. And if you're going to have a harassing environment, then you need to figure in millions and millions and millions of dollars in your legal funds because we're finally going to hold you accountable to pay the costs of that style of leadership. And so there are businesses right now that are in jeopardy um, because some of the subsidies are no longer in place. And I'm like, awesome. Let's all, that's called a natural consequence when you're parenting. Let's everybody quit being protected from your natural consequences so that we can break the curve and show people what truly successful business looks like. And that's true capitalism, by the way. I mean, you know, you survive or you don't based on your abilities to thrive in the marketplace. And if you're being subsidized for poor behavior, that's got to go. I love it. I I love all of this. So in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about what makes a great place to work. We're going to dive into a little bit more of that. We're going to dive into the future of work. But as we leave this segment, I have one quick question for you. And I know it's going to be hard to answer, but what leadership advice do you regret ignoring in your career? And I love that question. The leadership advice I regret ignoring in my career was um, for the longest time I had somebody say, you know what, Cy, you can leave here, but you're going to make exactly what you're worth. And I had kind of a boss who was like threatened I was going to leave. And for the longest time he'd go, yeah, go, go be a consultant because then instead of me paying you regardless of what you do, you'll earn exactly what you're worth. And I'll never forget when I got the courage up to go be a consultant and I earned three times my salary in the first year, I regretted ignoring that advice out of fear. I'm like, why wouldn't I bet on me? So that may not be the traditional leadership advice, but that's what comes to mind. You know what? I bet on you any day, Cy. When we come back, we're going to talk about the future of work and what makes a great place to work. Everybody sit tight. There will be more Let's Fix Work right after the break. You know I love to brag about my friends. I also like to listen to them. And right now, I'm listening to Jennifer McClure, host of the Impact Makers podcast. 
Jennifer is connecting with leaders across all industries to figure out how to make a difference at work and in the world. Here's what she's got going on. I believe strongly that each of us has the ability and the opportunity to positively impact people through our work and through how we choose to live our lives. The truth is that you've already impacted people in this world, even if you haven't been trying. I love what Jennifer has to say. And if you like what you're hearing right here on Let's Fix Work, you'll love what Jennifer's talking about on Impact Makers. So go to jennifermcclure.net forward slash iTunes and subscribe today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Lori Rudiman, and I'm here today with Cy Wakeman. Cy, how you doing? Did you enjoy the first half? I did. You get me talking about social conscious capitalism, and I'm, <laughs> I'm gone. I, I love it. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, I love that you love talking about love because I have heard this message from you over the past couple of months about love, and I think a lot of people hear love and work, and they think, what has love got to do with it? But you really preach the idea of love within your community. You have a thriving community online, and I wonder if you can quickly tell us, because community is very trendy right now, yeah. how did it start, and you know where's it headed? And also, all of that is interesting, but what's the hallmark of a healthy community? Because so many of us don't belong to healthy communities. Absolutely. For us, um, I think my community started with my willingness to say yes and just my own lifestyle where I, um, I'm approachable. If I'm you know, at a conference where I'm going to speak, you'll find me before it starts in the audience talking to people and um, just wanting so passionately for people to know that suffering is completely optional and that we can can help with that. We got wait wait you know, wait say, wait yeah. say that again. Suffering is optional. It's completely optional, and we can help with that, right? So most suffering is is self imposed. And how we've gotten started recently is um, listening to my next generation um, and how they consume. And so so many speakers were out there, you know, doing newsletters and trying to um, push information out. And my millennials and and next gen came to me and they just said that that the way they were consuming was online with good engagement and they loved people like Gary Vaynerchuk who really interacted. He had a huge social presence. He was totally um, accessible 24-7. And so we um, started to really uh, make the social media strategy our biggest strategy. We want our message consumed in bite-sized pieces in the way that you want to consume them. So instead of people saying, I don't want my people distracted at work with their phones, we start saying, we want to be the distraction at work <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> very smart, very smart. So yeah, so we have huge um, channels. People binge watch us all the time on YouTube and, you know, we, we're very... Um, prolific on LinkedIn and Instagram. We have a Facebook watch show called Life's Messy, Live Happy. I've got my own podcast, No Ego. Um, but it's not just putting it out there. It is engagement and interaction. And so I and my staff spend hours answering questions, trying to talk to folks, um, and, and being grateful because they're the ones who teach me where to go next with my message because they teach me what works and what doesn't work. There are so many people out there who assume that social media and the digital web skews to millennials and the next generation, but I think there's a missed opportunity for leaders. So often leaders are snobby and they're distant and they're a little elitist and they don't want to be online. And then they find themselves at the age of 55 or 60 wondering what they're going to do for an encore career. So can you talk That's about so the importance true. of leaders being online? What are they missing if they're not online? 
Well, first of all, let's talk about why they're not online. They can give me the ego excuse that, oh, you know, texting's ruining our communication, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line, those people aren't online because they haven't kept up with the times, they aren't evolving, and they can't keyboard. Like, they, <laughs> Wait, they can't keyboard. That is yeah. so hilarious and true. They can't. They can't. They, they can't. can't. And so people are always like, they're saying to me, you know, like, Sai, like, well, I just, you know, I prefer to keep my privacy. I'm like, no, you haven't evolved because people aren't out there to get into your privacy. They're no, out there to be there. led in the way that they um, consume. I sat in the HR group and they were, um, I was going to speak, but they were doing some work for us. And they were all putting together a policy on people being able to use Twitter and Facebook, all this protectionistic um, control. As wait, if wait. recently? This happened recently? Within the last year. Oh my God. And so I said to them, <laughs> Before, you know, I start, I, I was in, enjoying the conversation about Twitter and I just wanted to know of the 12 of you, how many are on Twitter? I know. The people I know. regulating. None. There's two of the, tw- there's two of the 12. Oh, that's amazing. I checked their, well, I checked their Twitter account. They have one. They are not on Twitter. They, and, and so for me, I just think, um, for me as a leader, if I'm going to stay relevant, I have to look at where technology goes and then where the younger people adopt. And I can't be the final adopter. If, my, if technology goes there and my young people adopt it, that needs to be played out in my next strategy because there are even people go, well, older people aren't online. Yeah, they are, but we just know where our markets are. Um, we, that's why we have a Facebook watch show, not for our younger folks, but um, female leaders between the ages of, you know, 45 and 60 are my main audience on that Facebook watch show. But um, what people are doing is retiring early. The business conversation moved online to social media. So you asked what made a healthy community. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. I Well, and I'm, I'm fascinated by all of this because I think the next evolution of leaders getting online is that leaders can actually have an honest conversation about the future of work. Because when I hear leaders talking about the future of work, it's all this really trite crap like uh, automation, blockchain, robotics. And I think, yeah, right. And I think the future of work is so much more than that. But I wonder what your opinion is on the future of work. I think that the um, my hope because I have a vision for the future of work. I, I don't think it's going to happen to us. I think we need to um, influence and, and create. The future of work to me is going to be a place where we go beyond ego, beyond title, beyond hierarchy, beyond um, a promised salary for the rest of your lifetime or even the rest of the, the, the year. I'm hoping that there are just amazing foundational places out there online where people can plug and play for as long as they want and as long as they add value and find some um, um, some payback for the value that they add. And so that means everything changes, compensation Every, wait, changes. Everything has to change, including our basic notion of how we get paid for work because there are different forms of labor, right? There's labor in the home, there's emotional labor. And right now we just pay people to show up and we have a stratified economic system where some people are contractors, some people are freelancers, some people are full-time and nothing is fair about it at this point. It will always favor privilege. That the, Our current yeah. system of compensation, I don't care how often you want to fix that thing, it will always favor privilege. So, so a lot of people, and including a few of my previous guests, have really been advocates for basic income to make sure that everybody has an opportunity. Do you feel the same way? You know, not to reveal my, my um, whole political preferences, but I am all <laughs> about 
um, galaxy citizenship and the facts that we can provide for everyone's basic needs, including healthcare, including education, um, all of those places. But it, a lot of it starts with education, not the kind we're teaching in schools right now. But what I love about and I'm excited about the opening up of the internet is I'm having conversations with people all over the world. I've been invited to talk to India and Egypt and all kinds of places because I'm hoping it will be the great equalizer. And just like my boss said that one day, you'll make exactly what you're worth. And if you haven't kept up your skills for 20 years, you're going to find yourself natural incentive to stop being a leader who says, I don't get online because I don't want my privacy invaded and drop the excuses and, and, and jump in the game. And I'm so excited about solving our problems through crowdsourcing and engagement and dialogue. Um, it amazes me. Somebody said to me the other day at an AI conference, they're like, well, I just, it's ridiculous to think that robots can take over all of our work. And I'm like, well, one, you missed the point of the partnership that we would use um, standards. We would be able to really standardize and, and give work. But the robot should be taking over our work because if you have a radiologist to an overread on your um, image, okay, that is fraught with error. If you have a robot do a overread on your image. And so when somebody said they didn't want robots taking over their job, therapists, they put a robot who asked four basic questions in India to do therapy, and the people recovered at a greater rate than the person did, because our flaw is we see life through the lens of an ego, and robots don't. And I'm like all excited about being replaced by a robot and laying on the beach someplace. I was just thinking that like between basic income and being replaced by a robot, I'm going to have a great life. I'm going to pursue art and yeah. poetry and I'm going to read more books. I'm going to write more books. I think the future of work looks a little bit different. And why would we want someone toiling away in a basement of a, you know, a Chinese manufacturing company? Makes no that sense. Person, yeah. It could be out there. They could be hiking. They could be creating art and beauty. So I'm with you. I don't know about the galaxy citizenship. I need to look that up. <laughs> but you know, even robots though, we're going to have to treat them better than we treat some people because people hide their breakdowns from us, but robots won't. Until so they're programmed to hide their breakdowns. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> right, right. Well, listen, I have a final question for this segment and I'm really, I'm paraphrasing here, but my, uh, my idol, Vaclav Havel once said that systems aren't the problem. People are the problem. And if, uh, if you fix the human heart, you'll fix the system. And so I wonder, as we're talking about AI and the future of work, does the future of work have a place for love and heart-centered leadership? That's, I think, what we're created um, to do. And, and for me, every person in the same person has low self and high self. And high self is when you're beyond ego. And so love is your natural state. And so for me, it's not necessarily like... Um, fixing all of us, that the people, um, they are the problem, but it's not that we need to fix the people. We need to just toggle switch the people out of ego into self-reflection. Because I believe that everything we desire is our natural state once the drama's gone. Heart and love. And so when you're not an ego, you're an amazing person. And and the, the way I explain this to folks is like when Michelangelo was asked after he carved David, if the carving of David was difficult because the, the, the product is beautiful. Yes, and he said, no, it was really effortless. It was easy. I just took um, out of the marble anything that wasn't David. 
And so I don't think we have to change people or add things to people or teach them or, you know, I think what we need to do, which has been preached about in every spirituality for thousands of years, we have to remove everything which isn't that loving self. And what you have left, what people's natural state is, is happiness, success, collaboration, love, heart-centeredness. That's who we are when we're not uh, when we're not in the ego and so the first step in that for listeners is stop believing everything you think because your ego is thinking you and giving you corrupted data and you're making not heart-centered choices based on this corrupted view of the world and and so i think it absolutely is the future and i think that um that it's easier than we think well um from your lips to God's ears, man, that sounds wonderful. And I feel like I've just had a therapy session. Sai, <laughs> thank you so much for really turning a cynic like me into a temporary optimist about the future of work. I love it. I'm normally so negative. And now I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> it might not be We so need bad. you. We need you. I love your work. So oh, you, I need you to keep disrupting out there. But oh, we also need to that. settle the mind. If all we do is disrupt, yeah. we'll leave people in ego and fearful. So we got to disrupt and then we have to settle the mind to say, here's a way you might try. Well, I am working on settling my mind and I think my listeners are too. Listen, Sai, I want everybody to find you and find your good work. Where can they find you on the internet? We make it easy at Sai Wakeman anywhere on the internet. Oh, that is easy. And it's an easy name to spell. Thank you again, Sai, for being such a fabulous guest. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Hey, are you ready to podcast like a pro? then you need a secret weapon, someone who can make it easy, where all you have to do is show up and be the host. At One Stone Creative, that's what we do. Everything. Yeah, everything. Imagine, every time you sit down to record, you know what your topic is. You want a script? We can do that too. Then you record it, drop it in a folder, and that's it. Our team will take it from there. Production, show notes, uploads, blog posts, social media assets, swipe copy, like I said everything. Book a call with the podcast strategist today. Just go to onestonecreative.net slash podcast. That's onestonecreative.net slash podcast. And we'll take it from there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cy Wakeman. There's a ton of information in the show notes, including a link to Cy's Facebook Watch TV show. It's called Life's Happy, Live Messy. As a side note, my husband and I just saw a commercial for the Facebook Watch platform, and he's like, hey, Lore, do we really need another smartwatch on the market? And that was hilarious, but I'm not going to lie. I hadn't heard of Facebook Watch either. TV on the internet beyond Netflix is really foreign to me. Let's Fix Work is a production of One Stone Creative. Audra Casino, Megan Doherty, and Gerson Lefleche make the show great. Hear me anytime, anyplace, anywhere if you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And connect with me at L. Rudiman or Let's Fix Work if you have feedback on the show. Now that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Fix Work. Wouldn't you love to get your hands on Lori's no-holds-barred, honest HR handbook for employees and pros alike? Download it for free at lorirudiman.com slash DIYHR.